and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Alicia Butler-Pierre, I am beside myself with excitement to have you as my guest on the show. So thank you so much. Jules, thank you for having me. We're across the pond and down under, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So tell everyone where you are. Where are you based? I am in Atlanta, Georgia, which is in the southeastern part of the, the United States. Fantastic. Gosh, it's great to be speaking to you. So let's start off by telling everybody what you do. Can you tell everyone what you're up to these days? I own a business where we specialize in creating business infrastructure for fast growing small businesses. That's what I that's what I eat, sleep and breathe every single day. And I love it. And I've been doing this for the past 16 years. Wow. So you really know your stuff. So so can you explain a little bit more to me? What do you mean by business infrastructure? What, What exactly are you helping business owners with? Sure. So business infrastructure is really just a system for linking the people, the processes and the tools and technologies that are needed to keep to keep your business operating on a day to day basis. The important word in there is the linkage. So in other words, if you make a change in one area, what is the impact that it would have on those other areas? Fantastic. Wow. So what sort of size businesses do you normally work with? Normally, well, great question. Traditionally, <laughs> it's it's micro enterprises, so companies that usually have less than 50 employees. Okay. However, we do also work on government projects as well. We've worked right. with larger nonprofit organizations as well as some of the larger corporate organizations as well. But again, our our specialty is really in working with those smaller companies. Fantastic. So here's the big question. Why? Why did you set it up in the first place? Why? Because I didn't want to be an engineer anymore, Jules. Well, I should should clarify that. I did not want to work. I I was a chemical engineer in my former life. And I, I knew it didn't take me working very long to realize I don't want to be in an oil refinery for the rest of my career. I don't want to be in a chemical plant for the rest of my career. I don't. Right. It's it's a it's a harsh environment. It's, so and it's very I, male, very male dominated as well. You oh, would have been one of yes. very few women, which makes it challenging in itself. Absolutely. Oh, do I have some stories? And I know I, we're going to be. This is all about are. the journey, right? <laughs> yep. So, oh my gosh, do I have some stories? But yes, I I knew I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So when I I decided to go back to business school while I was working as an engineer, I was going to school at night, pursuing my MBA, my master's in business administration. And And by the time... At that stage, were you thinking that you'd stay as an... So was the MBA the idea of getting further up into engineering or had you already started thinking, I want to do something different? That's a great question. (laughs) Honestly, the motivation for that... To be honest with you, Jules, was I realized I didn't understand business. I didn't understand the business behind the engineering. So my very first job out of college was working at Monsanto. Oh, right. And for those. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't judge. Don't judge me, right? <laughs> okay. No judgment. <laughs> because they're they're you know they're they're into uh, <laughs> all kinds of things, genetically modified foods, and yes. So I was actually making Roundup. Their, their, oh yeah, their, their herbicide. Yes, yeah. their their weed killer. So Which I was is making very poison, toxic, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to yes, say. Yes, I was just. <laughs> I was making poison, everyone, and right. um, so some some days. This was what a typical. Well, it it wasn't always like this, Jules. But there were certain moments throughout the year where. One day you may be told to run at full capacity. The next day you may be told to, you know, shut down the entire unit that you were working in. And then the day after that, you may have been told, oh, you know what? Get back up and running again. But we only need you to operate at 50 percent capacity. Why? That's so weird. Yeah. 
Exactly. That that was that was my that was the question. That was right. the million dollar question. Why? I didn't understand the business behind those decisions. What is it that they are privy to? What is it that they're looking at? That I just don't understand as an engineer because I'm on the technical side. I'm actually making sure product is getting made and that it's it's being made according to certain specifications. But I have no idea of what the profit and loss of the company looks like. I have no idea about the supply and the demand for the product. Didn't have a clue. Honestly, didn't even understand the language of business. Yeah. And that was the driving force. And the main motivation for me going back to business school was to really start to familiarize myself with business. But once I started business school, Jules, it it was like it opened up a whole new world for me. I didn't see anything the same way anymore. I you know, I know you you have a publicity company, so. I started noticing that as I would walk into a particular store or any other place of business, I was paying attention to the color scheme. I was looking at the logo, right. who's their customer base. I, so I, I started seeing things through a completely different pair of lens. Right. And, and so that's when I decided I don't want to do this anymore. And I had this, this intuitive gut feeling that I needed. To, I was living in New Orleans. Uh, right. I don't know if, if you're, I love you're it. Audience. I've been there for a week. It was <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> so I'm from Louisiana. And uh, so New lucky Orleans. Woman. <laughs> <laughs> so I was living in New Orleans, Louisiana, party city of, of the U.S. Yeah. And, you know, why on earth would I want to leave? I had a great job, Jules. I had a steady paycheck. Yeah. I, I had I had my own home. I had a very comfortable life, but I, I couldn't shake this feeling that I needed to leave quick, fast and in a hurry. Couldn't explain okay. it. And I remember being stuck in my house September yeah. 2004 because of a tropical storm. This, it was only a tropical right. storm. It wasn't even a hurricane. And I just remember I thinking, just said that. it isn't even oh a my hurricane. gosh. Um, <laughs> but the, and I say that because my house almost flooded oh, and my gosh. house, a lot of people don't realize this about New Orleans, but the houses are very old. So my house had been built in 1851. So it was right. a very old house and it already sat several feet. I don't even know how to quickly convert that into yards, but it, <laughs> it, was, it was, it was several feet off the ground. Yeah. And I just remembered being so scared. I was living alone. I was single. I was by myself. I thought I was going to die that day. I thought I was going to meet my maker. Oh, no. And eventually the, the rain stopped. The, fl- the, the waters uh, receded. But I just remembered thinking to myself ever since that moment, you need to get out of here. Leave. And so I quit my right. job very abruptly. I finished school December 2004. By January of 2005, I put my house up for sale. It sold within a week. I relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, the home of Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines. (laughs) Knew one person, knew one person, Jules, when I moved here. But again, I just couldn't shake that feeling that I needed to leave and get out. And wouldn't you know it, six months later... Hurricane Katrina happened. No. And so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't yeah, that so amazing? It was a, That's the universe telling you something. Absolutely. And and I've learned to listen to the universe whenever you yeah. get those gut feelings. And it's it seems crazy. Trust me. There were so many people who looked at me, friends and family alike. Have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? Have you gone mad? You have a very comfortable life here. Why are you going to upset the apple cart and and move across the country to a place where you don't really know anyone and you don't know anything about this this new city? So what attracted Uh you about Atlanta? What was it that made you want to go there? So... Okay, here's here's something that's really funny. <laughs> I really wanted to go to New York City. Okay. And I always I would always go to New York for fun. I would always go for my birthday, which is, you know, I have a birthday actually coming up uh, next week. Are you so up I would to New York go, again? <laughs> well, because of COVID, Jules. Um, oh, yeah, no, not so easy. <laughs> I'm a, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's funny because 
just a quick side note, what I'm starting to find now is that the actual travel isn't the issue as much as finding a place to stay. A lot of oh, hotels gosh, are the- shut down. The- That's a huge issue right. here right now in the United States. And the hotels are clo- they're, they're either reducing their hours or they are intentionally blocking off half of the rooms that they have available, not because they're, they've, they're occupied, but because they don't have the staff to be able to support all of the guests oh staying at the God. hotel. That's yeah. amazing because we are behind you and we've only come out of lockdown mm. again last week or two weeks ago. Really? And already we're talking that, yeah, so we're talking about supply chain issues. We're talking about staffing issues now, but we're, we haven't had it for very long. So you're saying a year later pretty much because you've been sort mm. of out of lockdown for a lot longer than us that that is an ongoing issue. Wow. Yes, labor shortages are a huge issue, and it's everywhere you go. It's, it is across the board. It is industry agnostic, whether it's even right. going to get a massage. The, the, they, they're out of therapists. They don't have wow. enough massage therapists think, to work. What, what's it's happened? Do you think everybody's tuned, decided to do different careers, or what, what do you think's happened? Where are yes, they all? You know, <laughs> we're, we're trying to figure that out, and so, so I – I started coming up with my own assessment of the situation. I have no yeah. idea if I'm correct no, no, that's in this. Fine. But, it's just opinion. But we do have to first number one, we have to keep in mind over seven hundred thousand people died here in the US. Yeah. So you have people who've who've literally died. Number two, you have people who don't want they, they don't want to wear a mask. So there's there's actually yeah. mask mandates. So you have some people who for whatever reason they they just they either don't want to do it yeah. or they may want to wear a mask and their employer does not enforce that. So that's something else that's been going on. Right. We also have people who have learned, oh, wow, there's there's this whole thing about the gig economy. You mean I can work remotely? I don't have to go and work at my restaurant job. I don't have to work at that hotel. Why would I do that when I can sell products on eBay or I can start yeah. my e-commerce business. I can do some bookkeeping work for a small business. Why would I put myself through the the pain and the rigor of the daily grind of having a regular yeah. job when I can just work remotely? So I, I think it's a combination of things, but it's been really fascinating to see. Again, it's just across almost every industry. And they'll they'll tell you, please bear with us or we've changed our even where I the the bank that I go to. They've changed their hours of operation. They close really early now. (laughs) They used to stay open fairly late into the late afternoon, but now they're closed by 3 p.m. every day. It's 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 really really, isn't it a really new world order kind of coming out of this. It's going to be very interesting to see the next few years. What happens. It truly, truly is. But so going back to your, your yes. original question, so um, why, you. <laughs> why Atlanta? Yeah. Why Atlanta? So I really thought I wanted to live in New York. Yeah. But here's the thing, Jules. So the, the, the school where I was where I was going to business school, they have a very large alumni base in New York City. And right. every year they arrange this, they, they produce this event that they call Freeman Days in New York because the name of the business school was the Freeman School of Business at Tulane okay. University. And they would, it was almost like going on a, a field trip. So I can remember going to MTV, yeah. the, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. I remember going to Citigroup, JP Morgan, Chase, six different companies. And that's when the reality of living and working in the city really hit me. Right. And I didn't want to, <laughs> it would have been, you know, I, I would have gone from having my own house to living in someone's basement. Um, I, you know, I just, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And so enough. Atlanta was choice number two, but, but what's funny is that I didn't know anyone in, in, in Atlanta. I knew one person when I first moved here, Yeah. but in New York, I had a lot of contacts in New York, but I did not have contacts in Atlanta. 
And that's but tough. That's, that is very tough to go to a new city and not know anyone. I did it in London a few years ago and, oh, you know, really? it takes a long time to just build that trust and build a bit of a network of friends. It, it does. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's also, and I would encourage anyone who's listening or watching this right now, if you have the opportunity to live somewhere else, away from where most of your family and friends are, do it. Stretch yeah. yourself. <laughs> Because honestly, it actually turned out to be a, a really good thing for me. I don't know if I would have advanced as quickly had I right. stayed in New Orleans because you have all of that chatter going That's on around true. you. What are you doing, Jules? Have you lost your mind? Have you gone mad? That can't work. You can't do that. Why are you doing it that way? But when yeah. you're away from all of that and you don't have those distractions, you have no choice but to focus. That's true. And you can be whoever you want to be because this is a chance oh, for you yes. to rebuild yourself, you know, if you want to. That's right. You can you can truly start over. Yeah. That's yeah. a very good yeah. point. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, well, look, this is the perfect opportunity to go right back. So I would love you to start with, I don't know, let's start with high school. And also I'd okay. love to know what kind of a family you grew up in. What did your parents do? Do you have brothers and sisters? That kind of thing. Sure. So I, my, my dad was in the military, so he was in the okay. air force and, you know, got out of the Air Force before I was born. My mother okay. was a health inspector or a sanitarian. So I'm not sure what you would call that in Australia, but she she was a person who would go into different restaurants, any place that served food to the general public. And she would inspect those places to make sure that they were practicing, you know, according to different health and yes. safety standards, that they were doing things up to par. Okay. So so, you know, I have a dad who was <laughs> who's ex-military, a mother who's an inspector. <laughs> so everything was about systems and right. order and organization. And Isn't I also, you know, I, I grew up I grew up Catholic. So I was in Catholic school up to the eighth grade. Okay. So, again, being around the nuns and everything, is, is, you know, if, if anyone who's ever been to Catholic school or, or private school in general, everything is very structured, it very is. methodical, very process oriented. So it it wasn't until I became an adult that I and I started to reflect on my my childhood that I thought, you know what, I was wired to be this. this way, to, <laughs> yeah. be, to be organized and to be process oriented and, and so focused when it comes to order and organization, because everything around me was that way. Yeah, um, I do have a sister, so I'm the oldest. My sister is three years younger than me. And our fun fact, our birthdays are a day apart. I'm November 18th. <gasps> She's November seventeenth. Wow. That's amazing. So. That's amazing. You know, my my mum and dad are godparents to two sisters who were born a year apart on the same day. Oh my gosh! And those kind of coincidences is bizarre. Wow. So so did you combine birthdays ever, or just have birthday parties yes. one after another? Yes. <laughs> Jules, it was awful. It was awful growing but up. Because, for anyone listening, you know, Alicia, Alicia is rolling her eyes right now. <laughs> because I, I clearly remember when I turned 16, you know, sweet 16, and I had to share yeah. my party with my sister who was turning 13. So, you know, um, it, it seems when you're younger, when you're that young, Three years apart, it, it may Massive as well difference. be 10 or 50. Yes, it's a huge difference. But what's so funny now is we're both in our 40s. And so it's it's like practically no difference at all. No, that's but right. when you're when you're when you're younger like that, um, it makes all the difference in the world. But and she's actually a doctor. She's a radiologist. So. I would say she's the smart oh, wow. one in the family. Oh, I don't know about that, Alicia. I think there's two of you in that. Okay, so you grew up in that family. Did you like school? Were you good at school? I was good at school. I loved school. And it's so funny because eventually I became a chemical engineer, but I actually was very passionate in the arts and literature Right. I thought I was going to be a journalist. That was actually my first career choice. And when I was in, when I was a junior in high school, 
I had a chemistry teacher. I fell in love with chemistry. I was right. really, really good at it. And by the time it was, it was getting close to starting to apply to different universities, my chemistry teacher took a very strong interest in my career path. And I remember her having a conversation with me. She said, well, what, what is it that you're going to do? And I said, well, at first I thought journalism, but I really love chemistry. So I think I'm going to get a degree in chemistry. And she said, mm, don't do that because... <laughs> If you want to be a chemist, you'll have to work your way up to the PhD level before you start to make any real money. Right. So why don't you look into chemical engineering because you can come out of school after just four years and you'll be making really good money. So I always tell people, I wish there was more to the story of how I chose or landed <laughs> on chemical engineering, but it was totally financially driven. It really was. No, but I but, mean, smart but, teacher, because it's all well and good when you're young and idealistic, you go, I don't care about the money, but actually as an adult, and you know, you're in your forties, I'm in my fifties now, you actually do need to think about the money as well. <laughs> that is true because I, I graduated from college debt free. I, I didn't have wow. any student loans or, or anything like that. And, and we hear about these, these poor students now yeah. who they're just, they're just saddled with all of these loans. And, and you're just thinking, gosh, it'll take you the rest of your life to pay these things off. Yeah. I mean, to, so to, I, to at 18 be walking around with, you know, a hundred thousand or more in debt is, is scary stuff for us to do that to our kids is terrible as well. I but anyway, know, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yes. And okay, so, so you finished school, loved it, and decided to do chemical engineering. How was how yes. was it at uni? You must have been one of very few girls doing the I course. I was. I was. In fact, I can remember. So it, it's it was interesting because my freshman year, there were a lot of us. There were oh. a lot of there were a lot of a lot of females, a lot of women. But as the years went on, more and more people started to drop. They right. started to change their majors. So by the time I graduated, Jules, there were um, how many women? There were maybe 10 of us in my graduating class. And it was a class of about, there were maybe 100 of us all together. Wow, in, so in really chemical, tiny percentage. Chemical injury. And here's what's interesting. I remember at my graduation ceremony, because they had all of the different engineering schools, so there was mechanical engineering, civil engineering, environmental engineering. Of all of those different engineering groups, chemical engineering still had the most women. <laughs> Whoa. So, yes. God, that's, I mean, I, I've, I have interviewed quite a few engineers now because I know that it's a very male-dominated industry and we've got that. I don't know whether you have it in America, but they're big push for, for girls to get into STEM here. Yes. But yes. Uh, but I know I keep hearing about these extremely challenging kind of environments that the women are working in. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that a lot dropped it out. It is but, very and well challenging. Done for completing. Yes, and I, I just had this conversation with someone yesterday. I told her, you know, a friend, a friend that I, a friend of mine here. She she is a serious advocate of STEM education for young girls. And in fact, she has an organization called STEM Gyms. And oh, great. she, yeah, she shared this statistic with me. This is, this is just America, but I'm sure it, it you know, it, the, I'm st sure. the stat is probably <laughs> similar, you know, around the world, but in America, only 19% of engineering degrees are awarded to women. 19%. This is the year 2021. I know. And, it's insane. And we're still here. We're still here. But I think part of it too, Jules, is getting back to what you were just saying, having that exposure to STEM education for young girls at a very early age. I remember reading an article, this was a few months ago, that said, it's not that girls don't express an interest in science, technology, engineering, or math, but the 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 change for them usually happens around puberty and they're, they start to yeah. be encouraged, you know, Makes sense. yeah, Jules, I know you like biology or I know you're really into physics or you're really into coding, you know, and, and creating software, but 
look at this Instagram model. Don't you want to be like this? Don't you want to oh, get into God, makeup stop. and all of the all of the quote unquote girly things? Yeah, that's usually when the change starts to happen for many young girls. Mm. So it's not that they don't have an interest and an aptitude. They just tend to be whereas the the young the, the young boys, their male their male counterparts continue to be encouraged to stay on those tracks. We're finding that the young the young ladies are actually being encouraged to to veer off into to move into more of the arts kind of subjects. More of the arts. Exactly. It's terrible, isn't yeah. it? It's really shocking. And um, one of the women I interviewed who is um, an oil and gas engineer told me a story of being the only woman on an oil rig. Can you imagine? Yes. For like that a, happened. I think it was two months or something. And she yes. said by the end of it, they started taking down the naked pictures of women on the walls, you know, but like imagine being in that environment, the only woman. I'd be very scared actually. That actually happened to a friend of mine. I remember when when we were all young engineers just out of college, we would trade these war stories about these horrible things that were happening to us. And you're just completely appalled and and you're constantly trying to to determine, do I report this or do I just curse this person out? I always, <laughs> shamefully, I developed a serious potty mouth because I, I would I would curse them out. Yeah, I would give them a piece of my mind, and eventually they learned to. Okay, we can't mess with Alicia. She's 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 kind of hot headed. She's a little crazy, but I knew I couldn't go to to human resources to report it every single time because then you become you, you'd never want to be labeled woman. as. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't labels can hurt you so, so much, especially when you're that young and that new into your career. You just don't want that type of stigma. So it's very challenging. I hope that it's changed quite a bit. I don't know that it has. I don't know that it has, but I think I I feel, look, personally, I feel that uh, another outcome of the pandemic has been this rising of women. I just can feel it. I don't know whether it's just because of what I'm doing with women as well, but I just think we're all fed up and it's time for change and we know it's time for change. So I do think things are changing, probably going to change quite rapidly in the next five to 10 years. I'll be really interested to see, but I don't think it's, um, I don't think we're going to go back to life as it was. Absolutely not. And that's the, that's the beauty of, Having a podcast, for example, that technology is truly a an equalizer in many yeah, ways absolutely. because there's so many free tools that are out there that we now have access to. But think about it, Jules, when you and I were were young, you know, in our careers and just starting out and trying to figure things out. We didn't have access to these things. We did, There was no, no social media. The Internet, you know, it, There was no internet. It didn't, it (laughs) didn't exist. Um, No email, no fax machines. There were just telephones that you paid a lot of money per call. (laughs) Absolutely. But now think about it. You can start an online business. Mm. No one even has, no one ever has to know that this is a woman owned business. So you, you know, I'm not saying that that's what you should do, but if you're ever concerned that, oh, if I put my, my face on on the website, that people won't, you know, the minute they see a a woman, they, they, they'll automatically discount it as not being as valuable as, you know, a business that is male owned or predominantly male owned. But my point is this, we have access to these resources. There's access to so many online courses, webinars, workshops. It's, it's really overwhelming when you think about all of the free information, listening to the She's the Boss podcast, <laughs> just listening to, po- you know, I actually use this now as part of my ongoing education. I yeah, listen to absolutely. podcasts. Absolutely. And of course, I just want to point out that there are people who maybe would look at, at, a, at a woman running a business and discount them, but really you don't want to deal with a person like that anyway. So that's true. So that I is very true. Women, the beautiful, I, I interviewed, I don't know whether you've heard of an amazing woman called Cindy Gallup in New York, who's an absolute oh, no. feminist. Um, I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago and she started her, she started a business called Make Love Not 
uh, make love, not porn. Um, and another one, <laughs> if we ran the world, both of them massive, massive global businesses. And she said she started at 37 and she said, up until then, I'd never thought about it. But now I think, why would I put my life and my career in the hands of an organization where I'm really just a faceless number compared to mm. looking after it myself? And I just thought that is so profoundly right. That is one of the huge benefits of running your own business. Absolutely. Anyway, Absolutely. so let, let's keep going with you. So you finished uni and did you go straight to Monsanto? What happened next? I did. I went straight to Monsanto, realized again that it, it, I was there for about three years before I realized I, I, oof, I, need to, I need to learn the business. I need to learn the business behind all of this. Went back to business school. Right. And what's interesting, when I went, when I first started business school, 9-11 happened. So September 11th, 2001 when the World Trade Center in New York, um, and, and I happened to be in another state attending an environmental conference. So I was right. stuck in Michigan, which for those who are familiar with the United States, Michigan is <laughs> way up north. almost way you know, from it, Atlanta. <laughs> right. It, it, borders, it, it borders Canada, you know, to, right. just to give some perspective. And I was stuck. And so I, I ended up missing quite a bit of class and I ended up dropping out that that entire semester. The following semester, I did some more soul searching and I said, OK, if I'm going to do this, it's either school or this job. I can't do both. So as fate would have it, here's here's another really interesting yeah. story. There was an organization at the university called T. Tulane Entrepreneurs Association. Okay. They, they had a meeting on a Friday evening and they, they said that there was going to be this man who owned his own engineering consulting firm. This is in New Orleans. And they said, come and come and hear Mr. Joseph Wink talk about how he started his own engineering consulting firm. And again, Jules, it's a Friday night in yeah. New Orleans of all places. <laughs> I'm like 23, 24 years old at this point. Who, who on earth goes to a, a meeting at 7 p.m. on a Friday night when I could be hanging out with my friends? Well, I, um, was, was it was it what caught you about that talk? Was it the fact that he'd started his business and you wanted to know yes. how? Yeah, I thought yes, it might have been. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, and, and knowing that he was an engineer, that he had this engineering consulting firm. So I went over there and I was blown away by his story, just his tenacity. Right. This is a person who suffered a nervous breakdown and actually decided, you know what? I am going to do this. I am going to build this business, even after suffering a nervous breakdown. Amazing. And I went up to him afterwards and I introduced myself to him and I basically asked for a job on the spot. And he said, <laughs> I did. I was bold. Oh, good girl. And I thought, you know what? This would be my ticket out of Monsanto. And maybe then if I work at this company, which is much smaller, it was a small family owned consulting firm. Yeah. Then I would have the time to actually still go to school, be attentive in class, actually be able to fully participate and, and get, you know, gain value from the, the entire experience. Yeah. So that's what I did. He said, you know, why don't you contact this person at my company? I scheduled an interview, I think about a month or two later. Oh, and good on you. Oh, my friend. You yes, did it. They you offered, did it. They offered oh. me a job. And, and here's what's interesting for those who are listening. This job was less money, less money. Not the benefits were not as great as coming from that large corporate environment in Monsanto. Of course. But here's what I did have. I had peace of mind. I knew that when I finished up work for the day, no one was going to call me to, to put a fire out in yeah. the wee hours of the night. When I finished work at 5 p.m. every day, that was it. Until I went back to work the very next morning. Right. So I was able to really focus and, and, and do well at my job, but also be a great student as well. That's and fantastic. so that okay. was the job that I actually quit before I, I relocated. Okay. Atlanta. So then you do the relocation. Now, talk to me about 
Uh, you obviously had grown up with the systems. I understand all of that. What made you think about setting it up as a business? And tell me a little bit about the last 16 years and how it's gone and what you've learned along the way. Sure. So when I first got here to this new city, again, didn't know anyone, I wanted to work at Coca-Cola <laughs> because... Great so employer. When I, it's, in Australia, it's been an employer of choice a few times. <laughs> because when I was in business school, we learned about them so much, you know, because I always tell people at the end of the day, they are an advertising company. Yes, mm-hmm. they sell beverages, but they are an advertising machine. Yes. They have mastered advertising and branding and marketing. And so I thought, OK, I just I just finished up business school. I really want to learn more about the technical side of marketing, but I also have this engineering background. So if I, even if I want to work for a bottler, for example, I understand the manufacturing processes that go into actually producing their beverages and packaging them and shipping them and delivering them. Okay. But Jules, as fate would have it, it was not meant to be. So I spent my first two months in this new city searching for for work. And this was at a point when everything was moving online. So remember, so here's something that's worth pointing out. When I applied for my engineering jobs, a lot of times it was old school paper application. Yeah. And, you know, and you you show up for an interview in person and or you might have an interview by phone. But at at some point there is an in-person interview. Absolutely. Well, at this point, things were moving more online. And so it was I would fill out these applications for all of these different jobs. And I have to tell you, it it is a uh, that is a very deflating experience to constantly apply for all of these positions. And oftentimes you won't hear anything no. back one way or the other. So it's like you do all of this hard work and you're, you're tailoring and customizing your resume and you're to, getting to be able to, and nothing, nothing back. So after two months of that, I said, okay, wait a minute, Alicia, you've got to be smarter about this. And as the universe <laughs> would have it, Everything that I started reading, Jules, every documentary I watched, even if I watched a movie or read a newspaper article, everything was centered around this idea of each of us being blessed with natural skills, talents and abilities. Right. But through our education system, we really go through a period of indoctrination. When you think about it, we are really being groomed through our educational system to work for someone else. Absolutely. We aren't being taught to become entrepreneurs and to to figure out how to capitalize on our natural skills, talents, and abilities and build profitable businesses around those skills, talents, and abilities. Oh, I so love I, that. I love what you just so, said. That is so <laughs> true. And, and it needs to be reversed because, yeah, anyway, go on. <laughs> yes. So so I started through, through a period of soul searching and introspection. I started thinking, well, what is it that I'm naturally very good at? What are my my natural skills, talents, and abilities? Right. And I kept coming back to organizing. I am always, I am, no matter what job I had, whether I was a teenager flipping burgers at a McDonald's or working as an engineer or, you know, trying to apply for these, some of these other positions, I didn't excel because I was the smartest person in the room. I excelled because I was very organized. So I started a professional organizing company. So Equilibria, Equilibria Jewels actually started as a professional organizing company. And so I was... I was going into people's homes and, and organizing closets. Oh, and that garages. kind of like Marie, yes. Marie Kono or whatever Ex- her name is. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly right. Now, here's something interesting that happened. I started to notice 90% of my clients, they needed their home offices organized. Right. Forget the closet, forget the kitchen, all of the other areas of the home. They were operating home-based businesses. And these weren't people who were chronically disorganized. They certainly were not hoarders. They had an issue of being able to keep, they needed to be able to keep 
their business life separate from the rest of the home. Yeah. And that's when I realized, even if I go in and aesthetically make the office look nice and pretty and tidy and and very organized, it could be a chaotic mess all over again the very next week. Why? Because they didn't have the processes in place. They needed systems. Ah. And that's when I started tapping into my engineering background, the processes. Okay, you just need a better workflow. You just need a better system to make sure that information is flowing as seamlessly as possible. So it shifted over the years, Jules, from professional organizing to business infrastructure. Well, tell me about the first business infrastructure client. How did you land them and what did you do for them? It was actually a district attorney's office. Okay. And uh <laughs> and I and and she she was the first district attorney for this particular county uh in in Georgia, the state where I live. Yeah. She was also she was the youngest. She was the first female. She was the first uh, black person to ever hold oh, that position. Fantastic. So she was, she was a triple threat and she happened to see me on a local television program talking about my organizing business. Ah, the power of publicity. <laughs> yes. Oh, let me tell you, TV yeah. is so powerful. Oh my gosh. It, people your think, YouTube channel. That's right. People think these days, oh, TV's dead, but it still has no, huge power. No, 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 no. I, I can... I can definitely attest to that. And this was a small, small local television show. And my phone was ringing off the hook. Wow. I can only imagine what happens if you're on a a much popular. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. So when this she called me herself and it's it was so funny because I thought I was in trouble because she introduced herself and she was like this is Gwendolyn Keyes Fleming and I'm the you know I'm representing the district attorney's office blah 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 and I'm thinking oh crap Uh I'm I'm still very new to this city what did I do did I is it a parking violation did I get myself in trouble you know I just focused on the fact that she said it was a district attorney's office and I was like oh my god I'm in trouble I'm new to this city I don't know anybody I just went into panic mode and she said she said no I saw you on tv and I'd love for you to come into my office and help us get better organized oh wow and so that turned into a two-year engagement we had multiple projects over over those two years and during that time Jules I started working with I guess she would have called herself a marketing consultant at that Uh, at that moment but she was the person I, I have to credit credit her with coming up with business infrastructure. She said, Alicia, you need to get more of these types of clients. Yeah. Because there's a real need there. Here's what's so funny. That was my first commercial client. You know, again, remember up to this point, I was only working in in people's homes and I was, I was working with home-based businesses. So I, I was so naive because being in an engineering, coming from an engineering background, there was there was a ton of structure. The, everything was documented. There were standard operating procedures for just about everything you could think of. So in my mind, businesses weren't disorganized. Businesses, all businesses had these had things, to be right? Organized, yeah. But I had to learn that's not true. And so when I started working with this particular marketing consultant, she said, You need to change the language from professional organizing to business infrastructure, because that would be more appealing to these actual businesses, these brick and mortar businesses that you're going to start working with. So I credit that that first project, that first truly business infrastructure project was with that particular attorney's office. Oh, fantastic. I love it that it was a woman as well. I feel like women, yes. I love it that in, in general, and particularly for those of us that own our own businesses, I do believe that we are out to support each other. Um, I know that it's very different in corporate land where, you know, you're you're really encouraged to compete and, and you know, try and beat each other down. But I love it when women support other, other women in business. Absolutely. All right. Now, we haven't got very much time left, but I would love to know, a little bit about how you juggle work and life when your work is your passion. And I can see it is because it's something that 
obviously comes from deep within you and your history. Um, a lot of I've I've now interviewed about 150 women, very successful women, oh, wow. and the number of them that have had burnout because they have put work first. So I always like to ask, how are you doing that juggle? Are you structuring your week? In a way that I gives you time off. I am not doing that juggle right now, Jules. <laughs> right, Alicia, come on! I know. You need I to. Know. Stru- you've got to structure have, that in I your know, life as well. I know, I know, but I do have a really good reason. I, I promise, okay. I have a really good okay. reason. So, and I, I often tell people that I work with. When you start building your business infrastructure, I'm literally going through the practicing what I'm preaching phase in my own company. Yeah. We are literally building out our business infrastructure. So as you're doing that, it takes a lot of time and it is a long, you have to be in it for the long game, knowing that you will come out on the other side so much farther ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so I can say as of the pandemic, Jules, I don't know. Something happened. It's like I, my, <laughs> yes. in, my inbox has become a cold, dark and scary place. I can't seem to keep up with things the way that I used to. But we are also actively building out our own business infrastructure. So we're, we're starting to document a lot of our own processes. We're starting to to make sure that everyone has access to the information that they need on our team so that they don't have to be so dependent on me. Yeah. And that takes time. But I can tell you, mark my words, let's check in by the end of the first quarter next year. And I will be singing a much different tune because I will be traveling again. But I just know that I have to go through this, this rather painful period right now in in terms of building out everything so that I can walk away from the business and truly be able to just work on it. Yeah, and nice. not in it. And so that things don't crumble if I, if I, for whatever reason, can't be around. Okay. So, so it's kind of short-term pain for long-term gain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. And like they say, no pain, no gain, right? No, well, that's <laughs> true. But, uh, but I mean, are you getting time off on weekends or are you working every night and every weekend at the moment? Oh, every- so I try, I try to take Thursdays off and okay. I, I've, I've gotten a lot better about my Saturdays. Good. I've gotten a lot better about Saturdays, but I do work on my my work week truly starts on the first day of the week. So I do Sunday. work on Sundays. Yeah, but I do that. I, I usually spend sat, Sundays, excuse me, as my days to strategize, to really think. And I, I, I do want to share that with your audience because it's so important as the the true work week gets started. Once mm-hmm. Monday starts, it's it's go, 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 go. But what I find on Sundays is that I'm able to actually read. Yeah. I can think. I can reflect. And you can I do can it at a slightly, slightly different pace. And it's time away from the day-to-day part. I mean, I do work on Sundays as well because I like being able to get up late, get a cup of coffee and do stuff that I just don't have time to do during the week. Yes, and you, I, I always know the phone isn't going to ring. Yeah, there won't be a flood of emails coming through. So that's really my day to focus okay. and, and catch up on reading and, and keep myself abreast of what's going on in, in industries. And, you know, we, we were talking about supply chain disruption. So that's when I'm able to really focus and catch up on all of those things and just give myself the time and the space to just think. Because once once you're in the day to day grind of the regular work week, think about it. We often don't have time to just think. No. And it goes in the blink of an eye as well. (laughs) You know, like how it goes from Monday to Friday. It's like that. I know. So it's It's scary. All right. My last question for you, Alicia, is, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing with us? Sure. Well, there's there's so many quirky things about me. But one thing I think that, well, most people don't know this is that I am a huge student of ancient civilizations. So I do believe the mantra, there is nothing new under the sun. I, my husband and I actually volunteered on an excavation and restoration project in Luxor. Egypt. This was about six, yes, about six or seven years ago. And it was, it was 
life-changing. It really was. So that was a lot of fun. So that's a, that's a quick, quirky so fact about me. And does that mean that when you finished organizing your business and growing it and, and processing and all of that, that you might go and do an, um, archaeology or something? Maybe that'll be your third love, career. <laughs> I would love to do that. I, I, I would love to go into forensics, but I don't, I don't like the sight of blood. No. That's the only reason why I haven't pursued it. So the beauty of archaeology is all the, all the blood will be dust. <laughs> <laughs> Just bones and dust. <laughs> Just bones and dust and rocks and stones. <laughs> uh, but least, I do. Oh yeah, go on. Go I'm on. sorry. I was just going to say my my on my bucket list is to to visit to go to China to see the terracotta army. Oh yes. I also want to be able to climb Machu Picchu in yes. Peru. Yes. Yes. So those those two are on my bucket list right now. Well, I'll add another one to for you. It would be great if you aimed to come to Australia and go and have a look at some of the cave paintings that are over 40,000 mm. years old. They wow. are extraordinary to see and realize that civilizations were going on 40,000 years ago. Wow. In Australia from the Aboriginals is is another There you go. It's just another thing for you to add to your list. Well, I definitely <laughs> want to visit because my father would t- always told us the two places he always wanted to go that he was never able to go. Well, when he was in the military, he traveled quite a bit. Yeah. But he always wanted to go to Alaska and Australia. Right. So he's been to Alaska now. So I would love to be able to take my parents to Australia. Oh, so I, I would. Will, you, you're do not going to be able to get it. rid of me now, good, Jules. Good. Look me up, definitely, <laughs> if you come over. Well, listen, Alicia, thank you so much. Now, if anyone wants to get hold of you, either to talk about um, your business or to get hold of you for speaking opportunities or whatever, what is the best way? Can you tell everyone your website and where you prefer to be contacted? Sure. The best website is my personal website, and oh. that is Alicia Butler Pierre. That's A L I. Well, I, I know you'll have a link to it, Jules, <laughs> um, but it's my name, basically Alicia Butler Pierre dot com, and okay. it's really a hub for everything that I do. So, if you want to learn more about my consulting company, you can click through to the company's website. If you want to learn more about my book, you can click through and find out more information there. I also have a podcast. You can find information about the podcast as well. Right. And as far as social media, I am most active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay. So those are my, that's where I like to jam out. So please feel free to reach out, connect with me. I, I love the opportunity to, to chat with you. Fantastic. Well, you have just been such a delightful guest. I've really enjoyed this. So thank you so much. Um, and I can't wait <laughs> to share you. it. <laughs> thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. And I, I really hope that my story and my journey serves as a source of inspiration for someone out there who's listening. I am absolutely sure it will. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jules. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.